I think it's fascinating that in all of creation, women were the only things not taken from the earth like everything else. Um, but Eve, boom, right. <laughs> but Eve was taken from Adam, right? And, and not just any part of Adam, Adam, but from Adam's rib. And I find that fascinating. I, uh, I quoted this last week, but I think it's worth another look. Matthew Henry wrote, The woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. I, I just really enjoy that quote. I came across an article of a man who was in an incredibly uh, intense car accident. It was a bad car accident, and he lived, but he required a lot of reconstructive surgery on his face and on his cranium. The article points out that the doctor was using the man's rib to reconstruct the, uh, reconstruct the cranium, and uh, and, and he used the same rib over and over and over. And so the man said to the doctor at one point, when are you going to need to use other ribs to reconstruct? And the doctor said, I- I'm, I'm not going to have to use any other ribs because the human rib regenerates. Now, I don't know if you guys knew that, but I, I didn't. The human rib regenerates. Surgeons use ribs to rebuild cranium bone damage. They'll take a rib and they'll use it to, to kind of rebuild and restructure things. In one study, I read 42 pieces of rib with an average length of 13 centimeters. That's 5.12 inches, okay, were removed to rebuild the cranium. And this is absolutely amazing. All 12 patients had solid protection for their brains. And the, the person, the people that they used the donor's ribs completely regenerated in all of the cases. So they took, they took this out of, they took the rib out, they rebuilt the cranium, they rebuilt the facial structure, and the ribs regenerated. The rib is the only human bone, okay, that regenerates. And isn't it interesting that the Bible picked the right bone before the science had the proof that the, that the rib would regenerate? Isn't it just fascinating that the Bible picks the only bone? Could have picked whatever. If you're, if you're making something up, right, you pick whatever bone to make Eve. No, the Bible picks the human rib before science understood that the human rib regenerates. See, I don't find it so fascinating. It's just I just find the Bible to be completely true over and over and over again. It's true. So I find the Bible true, and it also tells me how special women really are. Now, there's something that goes around in Christian circles that men have one less rib than women. That's completely bogus, okay? I don't know who made that up, and then we pass it around. Oh, yeah, I took the rib and made it even. Men have one less rib. It makes us look kind of silly sometimes. So before you repeat things, make sure you know if they're true. Go on, you know, and, and you know, don't go online and believe anything you read online, that's for sure. Um, and here's another, as I was studying through this, here's another significant science fact, scientific fact about the creation of Eve, if you will. 
Adam, being a human male, had an X and a Y chromosome, right? Eve, being a human female, had two X's, two X chromosomes. This shows that all, this is cool, all the genetic information required to create Eve could be found in Adam. So, in other words, Eve could be taken genetically from Adam, but Adam could not be genetically taken from Eve. Again, more proof that the Bible is reliable and accurate, scientifically reliable and accurate as well. Okay, I just as you go through these things, as you read and you study the word of God and you go back and you look, you're not going to find mistakes. All right. Even in, even in things where we have science involved in the blood and we're talking about bone, the only bone that regenerates and X and Y chromosome. It's all the Bible's accurate. It's completely accurate and completely reliable. Now, we've been in a series called Seasons, and we've been talking about um, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and what it means to submit or to serve, okay? This whole idea of serving and submitting. And this morning we find ourselves in in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how can we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Isn't that just going to be bedlam? It's, you know, it's such easy when you say this person submit to that person, that person submit to this person, you know, slaves submit to this and you guys submit to those. And, and all of a sudden, Ephesians 5.21, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how, how do you do that? How do we do that without, without confusion and bedlam? I believe the answer is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you have Bibles, you can use your Bible. There, it's going to be up here on the screen as well. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Paul says, Paul says, in a relationship, both parties need to have the same love, okay, and the same purpose. Both parties, when you're in a relationship with anybody, anyone, they have to have the same love and the same purpose. This combination is important because submission is a choice that we make. And once we make that submission, the results of that submission is that we should consider others more important than ourselves. The Bible doesn't say consider other people equal with yourself. It says put them in a position above yourself. Consider them more important than yourself. Consider them better than yourself. Okay, that's what it says. That's what Philippians chapter two, verses one through eight says. I know the world kind of says the opposite. You got to be number one. If you don't love yourself first and the most, how can you love anyone else? Sounds good ish. If you if when the person's saying it, but the reality is the Bible's saying, you know what? You know, you love yourself. What you need to do is love others more than you love yourself. If you think about it, submissiveness. Now, I'm going to this is going to this sermon is going to be really hard. okay? because it goes against human nature. The Bible, whatever you if you if you want to know what God thinks, if you really want to know what God thinks, usually take what the world thinks and turn it upside down. 
Okay, whatever the world says, usually turn it upside down and you'll know what God thinks. All right. So this is a difficult sermon to kind of grasp, especially if you're new. But I want you to I want you to you know, hold on and, and kind of go along, come along for the ride. If you think about it, submissiveness comes from a position of strength, not from weakness. All right. One of those flips from a position of strength and not weakness, because the person receiving the submission needs to receive it, receive it in love and has to have the right heart and they have to have the right mind to fight all feelings of of being more powerful. Okay, because when someone's submissive to you, it's it's hard for you to fight off those feelings of being more powerful because you're if if you're submitting to me, then all of a sudden your human nature, your sinful nature, your, you know, once. Well, yeah, I'm more important. I'm more powerful than that person. And that's where the problem comes in, because human nature takes over and all of a sudden you want to be up here. You ever watch two male dogs come together? Honestly, one will put his head over the other one. He'll put his head on the back of the other one. He wants to pick a fight. That's what he does, unless the other one backs down. But that's what we do sometimes. We put our head over the other person when they start to come in and have a submissive or servant-like attitude toward us. We don't take it as, wow, that's really amazing. That person would, would treat me that way and love me that much and treat me with that much respect. So it's a position, it it, it comes from a position of power, not weakness. And the submissive person has to fight feelings of less power. So you're both fighting off these human feelings, these human emotions that come in. All right. When you when you submit yourself to someone, you're not less powerful. Okay, you're not less than. We've talked about this. We talk about the carpenter, the carpenter's helper and submitting. Submission doesn't mean that you're less than the other person. It means that you're putting yourself in a position where you're serving them, where you're loving them. Many of you moms, you serve your children. You serve your family. You serve your children. You're not less than. Okay, when you do that, fathers, when you do that, when you when you serve your wife and you serve your children, you serve, you're not less than. Okay, so it takes it takes a position of strength because you have to fight off these feelings of, number one, feeling more powerful or feeling less powerful. Neither one are true. And you have to fight those feelings off at least once a year. I have to say to someone, don't mistake my kindness for weakness or you're making a terrible mistake where you're interacting with someone and you start to you're you're, you're caring about them and you're you're trying to put your, yourself in a servant kind of position and you're being kind and, and merciful and considerate. And all of a sudden the person feels this 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 wave of power over them. They start to rise up and they start to try to give you an attitude. And I have to say to people, listen, you're making a mistake. Don't mistake my kindness in this conversation for weakness. And then all of a sudden they come back to reality because you're telling them, I'm not I'm not putting myself in a position of weakness, if you will. All I'm doing is being kind to you, trying not to, to, to raise the level of our confrontation. But people will naturally, when other people try to serve them, try to be in a position of power. And that's not what the Bible expects of us. Submitting or following the leadership of one another should be something that we want to do, not something that we're forced to do. 
From a biblical standpoint, you should not be forced into a, into a position of submission or service. It's something as believers that we want to do, that we desire to do, not something we are forced to do. No one can force me to serve them. No one can force me to submit to them. Okay, it's something that comes from inside that God desires for me as a follower of Jesus Christ and that I do by choice. And we'll see this in the next point in Philippians 2, verse 3. It says that both parties should be like minded. Okay, it says being like minded. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather consider others better or more important than yourself. That's what we should be doing. In this verse, God has given us the perfect model for us to follow. In, this, in these verses here, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we learn what submission truly looks like as Jesus goes from, okay, in very nature God. Jesus is in very nature God, the Bible says, all right? And from equality with God, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so Jesus, fully God, right, fully man, it says in the Bible that he is, he is in the very nature God. And it said he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, all right? So what happens here is we have this perfect model of fully God, okay, fully God, but he then submits himself. And it says being made in, in, in the likeness as a man, fully God, fully man. I know this is a lot of theology, but hang on. So Jesus, fully God, chooses to come down to earth, put himself in the likeness of a man. All right. And then I'm going to read you verses seven, eight again. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Fully God makes himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. All right. So there's our perfect example. How do we submit to one another? Why should I submit to this person? Why should I submit? Jesus is the perfect example. The all powerful God who can break every chain, who created the universe, comes down to earth, doesn't come down and sit on a throne of like gold and, you know, diamonds and everything else. And everybody stand before me, kneel before me, bow before me, serve me. No, he takes on the very nature of a servant. The king of the universe gets down on his knees and and he washes his disciples feet. Have you ever washed anyone's feet? Think about sitting the person next to you, right behind you, getting a tub of water and just getting on your knees and washing that person's feet. Jesus is fully God and he comes and he positions himself as a servant of others and he washes his disciples feet. His his selfless act of sacrifice for our sin Represents a level of submissiveness that no man or woman will ever, ever match. Period. That's our example. He set an example that is so overwhelming we will never match it. But just because we can't match it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to become more like him. That we shouldn't strive to be like him. Being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose. That's what we're called to do. We're called to serve each other. 
We're called to, to sacrifice for one another. To, again, to put the other person before ourselves. These are all things. You know why the, another reason the Bible is so true? You look, at other, you look at other world religions, and for the most part, they're about, they, they ultimately make you feel good about yourself, right? They, they go along with human nature, all right? They go along with human nature. The Bible goes completely against, for the most part, human nature. It is so, it is, it is, it, it's written in such a way that you'd, if you were going to write and make up a religion, you would not make this up. Okay? What I'm teaching you this morning, it, you wouldn't make this up. Because I'm, I'm asking you to do something that goes against your human nature. Honestly, it goes against your sinful nature. That's how we know the Bible's true. God's not interested in telling us things just because, oh, I don't, boy, what if they get upset about it? God's telling you the truth. You want to be the, the, a, a godly man? You want, to, you want to live out biblical manhood? This is, the way it, this is how you do it. You want to live out biblical womanhood? This is the way you do it. You want to be the kind of child that, that, that it honors their father and their mother? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. In every aspect of your life, this is how you do it. So we may not be able to match it, but we need to strive to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can. That means loving and serving each other. I I, I want you to pick one person this week. It could be mowing. Maybe it's your neighbor. You, you, You just mow your neighbor's lawn as long as they don't get. Some people get mad about everything. So make sure your neighbor won't get mad if you mow their lawn. All right. But, you know, they're working or whatever. They come home, their, their lawn is mowed. You mowed it. Just to serve them. Put, put yourself in a place where you're serving them. You're considering them more. You're tired. They're going to come home and be tired. But you know what? You're a little more tired, but now they're not going to be as tired because you mowed their lawn. So maybe it, maybe it's the person at the, maybe it's the person, a, a waiter or a waitress or the, your neighbor or maybe it's your teacher I mean, teachers work hard, okay? They, they prepare, they work hard, they invest in your life, they, they give themselves. Maybe what, what are some things that you can do maybe this week or think of something where you can serve them, where you can invest in them, where you can think of them first. What would help them? What would encourage them? What would support them? What would make their life a little easier? Think of one person. That's what I want your homework. I want you to think of one person you do that for. Most people live their lives, and and hear me out, but most people live their lives like it's a race to the top. All of life is a race to the top, to climb the corporate ladder, to be number one, to be the best. And I'm going to tell you something, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you being the best person that God created you to be. Nothing wrong with that, okay? But if that's all, that's the only race you run, you're missing something. Because in a Christian worldview, there, yeah, there's a race to the top to be the best that you can be. But there's also a race to the bottom. You want to race to the bottom. You want to live your life with a servanthood attitude. You can still be a man's man, okay? You can still be a strong woman. You can still be whoever God created you to be and still have that servanthood attitude. Jesus, okay, was fully God. 
No one's going to call Jesus and what he went through and what he endured. Remember, we talked about biblical womanhood and Jesus uh, a perspective of women and what he ha- where he had to stand up against an entire all of culture was uh, op- was was speaking of the opposite of what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus still stood his ground physically, emotionally, spiritually. This guy was tough. And he took on the very nature of a servant. And I, for one, want to be like him. I want and we should want to be like him. That should be our desire. If we truly want to live out the command of Luke chapter 10, verse 27, that says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, then we need to see that through the eyes of Philippians chapter two, verses one through eight. If we want to live that out, to love the Lord our God with our whole being, okay, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we need to see that command through the lens of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I think you should all memorize that as part of your life. I memorize that. It, it, you need to memorize that because it, it applies to every single. It applies to work. It applies to school. It applies to home. It applies when you're on the field. It applies when you're on the court. It applies to and when you're on vacation. It applies to every area of your life, how you're supposed to live your life. So we need to see that command of, of God in, 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 in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. As, and we need to see it through the lens of Philippians chapter 2. Now, again, the world will have the opposite view. The world's going to have the opposite view. Now, they may not come right out and say it. Some do, but they may not come right out and say it, but they're going to have an opposite view. Let me illustrate with this quote that I read, and I really thought it was funny. It says, Karma means I can rest easy at night knowing all the people I treated badly had it coming. Think about that for a second, right? Worldview matters here, guys. Worldview matters, right? If people are in the position that they're in because of something they did in their past life, or whatever else, if you treat them poorly, you know, they had it coming because they shouldn't be in that position in the first place. It, it, it's, it's funny. It's funny. But that is how so many people actually live their lives, justifying their behavior, treating people poorly. Picking on people in school, bullying people in school. Oh, that person deserved it. Or at work, you know, putting the guy down or taking, stealing his project or his idea or whatever, idea, whatever else, because, hey, I deserve the promotion. I deserve, I, and that, that person got what they deserved. If they were a little bit smarter, if they were a little bit more savvy, if they were a little bit shrewder, then they wouldn't have let me do this to them. That's the way the world, you guys are in it. You know how it works. People stealing contracts, people trying to get information, rob your customers, whatever the case may be, right? Hey, it isn't personal. It's just business. That's not the attitude that Christ would have when it comes to living his life. Albert Camus wrote this, To be happy, we must not be too concerned with others. If you want to be happy... You can't be too concerned with others because it's going to bring you down, right? They're just, going to, they're just going to bring it down. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it tells us that it tells us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, hear me out. 
to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That is it, my friends. That is the purpose of your life. You say, why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? The purpose of your life is to be like Christ, who's ever most like him by the time we're dead wins. Okay. now I know what they say. Whoever has the most toys by the time we die wins. No, whoever is the most like Jesus Christ before we die wins. That's what life is all about. That is the purpose of our lives. That's why that's what we should be striving for. And that means living a life in service to others. But our problem is that we that we are more concerned about being the greatest. We're more concerned about being the greatest than we are about being a humble servant. We're more like the disciples than we want to think. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, you've heard this before, right? It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then? This is the disciples talking to Jesus. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called, listen, this is Jesus' response to them. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the low, listen to the words here, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You're getting it, right? See that? Human nature? Hey, you see, you see what I did when I touched that guy and healed him? You see, you, see what I, uh, you see my conversation with that last guy, Jesus? Hey, let me ask you a question. When we get to heaven, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus reading their hearts and going, you're not getting it, guys. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Jesus is telling us we need to focus on loving and serving those around us, putting other people's needs first. If you're younger, if you're younger here this morning, um, do you put your brother's or sister's needs above your own or are you only always thinking of yourself? I want that. I want that. That's my cookie. I want the thing. I get the bigger piece. I want the bigger side. If you're being like Jesus, okay, what you do is you give your brother or sister the bigger piece of the cookie. That's what you do. If you're a really smart parent, what you do is you get a little knife, you put the cookie down, and you let one of your children cut the cookie, and the other one choose which side they want. They get out like, seriously, they become mathematicians when they're cutting a cookie, making sure that they want their half, right? They want to make sure it's equal. One cuts, the other one chooses. That takes away all the problems. But if you're being as Christ-like as you possibly can, let your brother or sister play with that toy a little longer. Let them have the bigger half of the cookie. Let them play the game that they want to play. That's having a Christ-like attitude. Do you put your brother and sister before yourself? We need to love them more than we love ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, it reminds us, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Hold on to that one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Lay down his life for his friend. My friends, we need to be living sacrifices. Okay, this is another one of those, go study this whole term. Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We, when, when, when you make a sacrifice, in the Old Testament, they made sacrifices, living sacrifices, not people, but animal sacrifices. When Jesus came, that was completely wiped out because he was the perfect lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We no, no longer have to do any kind of animal sacrifice because Jesus was the perfect lamb sacrifice, sinless perfection, done, all done. And now all we have to do is ask Christ to come into our lives and we can be in fellowship with God for eternity. But Paul is asking us to be a living sacrifice. Now, let that soak in. You're living. Everybody breathe in for a second. You're all, you're all living, right? Everybody's still living? Okay. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Dead to self, but alive in Christ. I heard that somewhere. That you have died to self and you are now raised to new life in Christ. So what is Christ, your, your Lord, wants you to do? He says, I want you to be like me. What was he like? He was a servant. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He served other people. He took on the very nature of a servant, a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16 reminds us, so the last shall be first and the first, first shall be last. You guys see a theme here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you see a theme. Hear a theme? See a theme going on here in the Bible? Over this side, I don't see a theme. Theme. Raise your hand. All right, good. All right. They're like, no, I don't like those people over there. I'm not putting them first. All right. So there's a theme going on. It's important to recognize that when we, when we submit to others, again, this is not something that others can force us to do. It needs to be voluntary. Submission is voluntary. We are, we are voluntarily submitting ourselves to other, other people. It's voluntary. And we do it. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Now, honestly, it's not even because we, we have this intense emotional feeling toward the people we're serving. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're just, man, when it comes to your, like your wife or your husband or your children or people like your family or some, some of your best friends, man, you, you guys would jump in front of trains for them. You would, if it was your life or their life, run into a burning building, whatever the case may be, you'd sacrifice everything. A bear's coming in the woods and whatever, and you're charging the bear and you're saying, run, 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 and you're running toward the bear because you're willing to do that. But that's not always the case, all right? It's not just saying do that for the people you feel that strongly about. We do it because of our love for Jesus Christ. I said a couple months ago, Jesus is the love of my life. I love my wife with all of my heart. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I would give my life for them in a split second. And most of you know that to be true. 
I'm not just saying that as words. You know that to be true. But my love for Christ supersedes everything else. And that then allows me to love my family, to love you, to love the world, to love the people in this world. Not just when I feel like it, but as much as I can because of my love for Christ. My love for Christ supersedes everything else. And I'm constantly trying to pour out because of my love for him. See, we say we love. We, we, we say we say Jesus is the Lord of our lives. But let me be honest, we refuse to obey him. Jesus, the Lord of my life. We sing song. He's the Lord of my life. Jesus, he's my master. He's my Lord. But then we refuse to obey him. We have more of a more more of an obedience through convenience mentality. Yeah, I'll be obedient to Christ as long as it's convenient. But when it's not convenient, I'll come up with excuses and reasons and justifications and whys and why. I don't think God wants me to be. And my favorite one, so don't ever use it on me, okay, please, is my favorite is God just wants me to be happy. God, the, what, I, I say, well, the Bible said, no, no, I don't I understand what you're saying. I understand it says that right there in front of me. But what supersedes that, Jeff, what supersedes that, Pastor, is that God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be holy before he wants you to be happy. And if you are following the will of God and you are you are trying your best to be righteous, a righteous man or a righteous woman, if you're trying to do that, yes, you will find not only happiness, peace, joy and contentment, things that cannot okay, come from your feelings. You will have those things. We need to be following, we need to be following Christ with all of our hearts and not just obedience when it's convenient. In most cases, here's the reality, I'm giving you some more reality. In most cases, it's, it is below us, okay, to serve. You, that's it. Please be honest, just be honest with yourself because you're never, I am never going to grow if I'm not honest with myself as in a little self-reflection. We don't want to serve, okay? We want to be served. We don't want to humble ourselves. We want other people to humble themselves. A lot of people have the problem of submit, like submitting to their boss. They have a problem submitting to their boss, to the government, to the police, to, honestly, and honestly, to, uh, to the leadership of the church, and to God. Why? And you say, well, because, because, because of pride, selfishness, Okay, self-centeredness and rebellion. And I'm, you know, you guys know me. I'm not up here pounding away at you, fire, hellfire and brimstone. But just, just be honest. The reason that we don't, the reason I struggle sometimes with, I uh, mean, you know, I'm going to submit myself to the government as long as they don't supersede the laws of God, then I'll, I'll submit myself to the government. But I don't always feel good about it because I don't respect a lot of the people in those positions because of the way they live their lives. But the Bible doesn't tell me it's based upon the performance of that person. I, it, I have to serve. I have to submit myself because the word of God says that I need to do that. Now, if it goes against, if it goes against the word of God, I, am no, I have no obligation. But be honest with you, I, a little bit, I'm not a rebel without a cause, but give me a cause and I'm definitely a rebel. All right? I just need a cause and I'll be a rebel. But sometimes I'm a rebel without a cause and I have to catch myself. Jesus voluntarily submitted to the cross. Jesus was fully God. He did not have to go through with it. He voluntarily submitted himself to the cross. But he knew that 
it served a much higher purpose in submitting himself because it gave you, it gave all of you and me an opportunity to spend eternity with the Father, with God the Father. He went through with it. The agony, okay, getting nailed to a cross, having them nail your hands and your feet and crown of thorns and being beaten so you can see your insides and hung on a cross and dropping down and that nasty old rug across digging against your back. And uh, that was horrible. But, but taking on the sin of the entire world and being fully God and cognitively, intellectually, under and, and emotionally feeling all of that was way beyond the physical pain. But he did it. Why did he do it? Because he loved you that much. Because he was a suffering servant. Because he came to set an example for us that none of us could ever match, but we should try to follow. See, it goes against our nature to submit to others. We don't like it. Um, We have a desire to be thought of highly by the people around us. We want them to serve us. We don't want to serve. We want to be served. You know, when we first started Grace Chapel, I had a phrase that I used all the time. This church will never be about serve us. It'll be about service. Some churches at this point are just country clubs. And the attitude of the congregation toward the pastors and the staff is we pay you. You serve us. And the attitude here at Grace Chapel is it's not about serve us. It's about service. You serve the Lord. We all serve together. We serve together for a greater purpose. Some people, honestly, some people can't even hold down a job. They can't hold down a job because they won't follow the order. They won't follow orders or they have a bad attitude um, toward their employer because they don't want to submit to their authority. But remember what Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24 says? Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let me go back. What did, what did Ephesians 5.21 say? Submit out of reverence for Christ. So wait, there's again some themes going on here. You submit out of reverence for, for Christ. And then Colossians 3.23 and 24. At the end of 24 it says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When I worked for Exxon when I was in college, I worked for Exxon for a few years. I started out as a cashier and then I became uh, assistant manager. And then I became the manager of that station. While I was in college full time, I became the full time manager of the station. Then I became a multi-store manager because the other manager left and they gave me two stores. While I was full time in college. Why did they do that? You know Why? Because when they asked me to clean the cigarette butts off the parking lot, I did. When they asked me to scrub the oil off the, off the, the island areas, I did. When they asked me to clean the toilet so they can, I can hit my mark, you know what I mean, and I could get an excellent when they came and inspected, I did. When they said, ask everyone if they need any oil. My, I, I, I dreamt, you need any oil? You need any oil? You need any oil? I, I dreamt it, okay? I did that. I went from a cashier at 3.35 an hour. I was finally making 10-something an hour back in... 19 whatever okay that was that was good bucks when i was in college 30 30 years ago okay how did i how did that happen i did my job i just did what i was i was asked to do and it wasn't always easy in that time as a manager at one point i fired every single person from both stations in a two-week period you know why because they wouldn't do the job they were paid to do you know why they told me it was below them to clean the toilets 
But that's what you were hired to do. But it was below. They wanted to submit to authority. They didn't want to submit to anyone's authority. They, they, they wanted to get away with all they could get away with. And I, my attitude was, I'm not, I, Exxon was fine, okay? But I was serving the Lord, not men. I wasn't doing it because Exxon told me to, first and foremost. I was doing it because God told me to. You're working for them. You submit to their authority. You do what they're asking you to do because they're paying you to do it. Customer service at this point, I don't know if the rest of you think this, okay, is customer tolerance at this point. You go into places, you don't get customer service for the most part anymore. And if you do, you're shocked by it. I tell people when they do a good job, you are amazing. That is incredible. You did such a great job. Why? Because customer service, service, uh, uh, uh. You people are annoying, okay, and I tolerate you. All service is being attacked. Like the disciples, the reason we struggle with this, we see ourselves as more significant than others. We are very egocentric. Usually we can see what we do for other people. Hear me out. Now, I know I'm picking on you a little bit this morning, but I'm picking on myself too. All right. We see what we do for others, but we do not see what others do for us. And that causes us to serve less. Uh, we, it, we serve less or we serve with a bad attitude because we serve and we give. We give, so, let me say this, so much. And the rest of these people are just takers. I serve so much. I serve here. I serve there. And the rest, everybody else just takers. Newsflash for you. They think the exact same thing. The person you're thinking doesn't, that you're serving and you're giving and you're whatever, they're thinking the exact same thing you're thinking. I do so much and they do so little. That's why servanthood is not based on the performance of the other person. If it is, you're going to stop doing it. Well, they don't give me the thanks that I should get and they don't give me the, I don't get the pat in the back, whatever. So I'm not going to do it anymore. You're a believer when you signed up. Okay, this is what you signed up for to follow the example of Christ. What if Jesus said, what if Jesus said, I'm not going to the cross for Greer. What a bum. What does he do for me? I tell him to do this. He doesn't do it. I tell him to do that. He doesn't do it. I tell him that to be sacrificed in this area. He doesn't do it. He lost his temper. He changes, has a bad attitude around here. When he doesn't catch a big enough fish, he's whining about it to me. Why should I? You know what I mean? Right. Imagine if we, it was predicated on the behavior or the performance of the other person. Jesus died on the cross while we were yet still sinners. Being a servant is something we learn through spiritual maturity. We need to realize, my friends, we need to realize that when we serve, we're fulfilling a greater purpose. When you serve, you are fulfilling a greater purpose in life. It's a purpose beyond ourselves. Sometimes serving other people requires that we go out of our way. Most of the time we serve other people, we're going out of our way. But submission and service is proof of our love for God and our love for other people. Jesus says, if you don't love your brother, if you claim to be my follower and don't love the people around you, he says, you're a bold-faced liar. That's what he said. First John, go look it up. If you don't, if you claim to follow me, but don't love the people around you, you're lying in Christ. Men and women have equal value and they have equal responsibility to obey and serve God. Period. Galatians chapter three, verse 28 says this. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we are all called to conform to the image of Christ. We are all called to race to the bottom together. Let's link arms. You know, I'll tell you something about life. You know, people put themselves up on a pedestal. They have a long way to fall. You don't have to fall very far when you're on your knees, do you? When you humble yourself and you're on your knees as a servant, there's not very far to fall. People may raise you up and lift you up and love you and encourage you, but there's not far to fall. All biblical commands about surrender, service and sacrifice apply equally to men and to women. Equally across the board. Genesis 1.27 tells us that because every human is, cre- is created and carries a unique facet of God's nature, that we glorify him by reflecting that nature to the world around us. How do people know that we're followers of Jesus Christ? We live it out in our lives. We live it every single day. We serve. We're kind and considerate to the person serving us at the restaurant. We're encouraging. We want to call the manager over and tell the manager what a great job they did. We express our our our, our our natural tendencies when it, in a good way, what God has given us to glorify him to the world around us. Women can reveal the glory of God in ways unique to their gender, as can men. We both can. God designed us. God designed each of us uniquely. God designed men to reflect the glory of God through biblical manhood. God designed women to reflect other aspects of God's glory are in nature through biblical womanhood. We do that together. We do it together. We serve God, all of us together serving God to make this world a different place, to impact the world around us. Submission at the end of the day is not just a woman thing. It is not just a man thing. It is a God thing. And we understand that spiritual reality. We will live in harmony. We will live in unity with one another, fulfilling complementary roles as we carry out Jesus Christ's mission for our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for this series so far, Lord. It has challenged us to the core. It is changing us, Lord, in so many ways. And we pray, dear God, that you would give us the strength that we need, men and women and children, that you give us the strength that we need to become more like you because it's got to take strength, Lord God, to serve others. It's going to take strength to act like you act, to live like you lived. But we are going to strive to become more like you every day. But God, if we're going to do that, we need your strength to break every chain, Lord God, to overcome our struggles, to overcome the things that are holding us back from becoming more like you. We need your strength to do that. We love you. We praise you, Lord God. And we want to serve you with our whole hearts today and every day going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week.